Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Due to the nature of technology's life cycle, this podcast is going to sound different. I had an iPhone 7 Plus with a microphone that plugged into it and a Google Chromebook that ran so silent that you would not have known that the guests were uh, not in front of me if it weren't for that little bit of like uh, the, the technology barrier that makes them sound like they're on the phone. I am recording this podcast the morning of. <laughs> it's 2.48 a.m. I went to bed pretty early and I'm up pretty early. And I normally have these podcasts released ahead of time or scheduled to release for uh, midnight. And I still have a few that I need to get through and edit. But um, like I said, my equipment, the, the phone couldn't stay off the charger for more than three hours and it, it was just old. And then as far as my Chromebook goes, for some reason, it won't pick up Wi-Fi at my place. And then the charger broke. So I'm going to order a new charger and um, I'll still be able to use the laptop. It just, I won't be able to use it here. So this is the first time I'm using um, what I'm using now to record. So I hope it turns out okay. I ran a few tests with it to see how it sounded and it sounds pretty good uh but you let me know what you think in terms of how this goes and if it doesn't sound decent to you all then i can look into some other options but right now this appears to be um, one of the best that i came across in my search for um, apps to use to record a podcast so I got a new phone, no more blue text. If you're someone who's been texting me uh, at all, like personally, um, I got an Android switch from iPhone and this phone is capable of making documentary style videos. So look forward to that. More videos to come for something positive for positive people. Um, so I think that having to adapt to the losses of my technology that I've become so dependent on over the last three years has forced an evolution to occur. So uh, it may mean more solo episodes or if I can't have guests, like I, like I said, I'll have to play around with this app uh, to see what getting someone else on here may look like. But for now, I'm taking in listener questions instead of doing interviews. Um, I have a couple podcasts to edit and upload. Um, but once those are done, I think that we're going to reduce the number of guests just because the outreach is so time consuming and then the editing process as well. Whereas like now I can just pull out my notes of what I want to talk about, hit record in this app and then just get right into it. A couple of things that I want to make sure that I touch on in addition to the listener question. So here's what the questions are. First one is, do you feel that you may have pushed away the possibility of love after your diagnosis and then what's the best way to manage outbreaks and then how did I contract herpes and how to feel sexy or attractive after a herpes diagnosis. I'm going to answer these questions and uh, I want to make sure to touch on, oh man, there's two things that happened. So yesterday, I, I don't know if 
any of you follow me on Instagram or not to the point where you know that uh, I made a reference to having learned that I am fearfully avoidant of my dad. But he and I talked yesterday and even in the conversation, this was a very healing conversation for me. Um, he asked me, he was like, yeah, you going to talk about it on your podcast? I was like, no, no, I'll probably be vague about it just because I mentioned it before. He was like, you absolutely should talk about it and in detail, too. I was like, whoa, that was really unexpected. So um, depending on what the time looks like, I may touch on that. But the big thing that I did want to make sure to cover as well was uh my experience in therapy, my experience using BetterHelp uh, and their counseling services. I don't want the entire podcast to sound like an ad, but I do want to be sure to just touch on some of my experiences in working with a therapist so that perhaps you may get something out of it and be encouraged to reach out to um, a counselor or therapist as well. And if you do, I hope that you use betterhelp.com slash SPFPP so you can use a discount code and then also get something positive for positive people paid. All right. I think that's it for all of the announcements that I have. Um, Oh, the logo. So hopefully uh, people have been noticing. I've been playing around with a few different logos. Uh, Shout out to Emily DePaz, whose Instagram handle is sexeljucation. And that's just sex, E-L-D-U-Cation, for putting me on this app called Canva. I'm probably really late to the party, and everyone probably knows about this already. But I've been able to make some new logos, and I'm real proud of myself. Not that the the old logo was bad or anything. Um, I think the person who made the logo, uh, they just only sent it to me in a PDF. So everything that I put the logo on had to have that black background. Um, So... I did my best to mimic the font a little bit and move it around a little in ways that I can use multiple versions of it for different things and put it on different colored backgrounds and just not have it always be that that black and gray logo. So, yeah, I was having fun with that over the last week, and that's probably why I didn't edit any podcasts, but I made some Given 100 videos. If you don't know, I'm a personal trainer. And we were able to open up June 15th and get back into the swing of things. Of course, we knew uh, guidelines and all that. But um, yeah, this has been fun, like playing with the new phone, the new technology, the new app. So uh, I'm the kind of person I like to get, you know, really into things and see what I can do with them. And once I find something that, you know, works well, um, I keep doing it until I get better and better at it. Uh, and it becomes something easy or simple for me that can go up sort of automatically and then I can move into the more advanced stages. So I'm excited about this. All right. Now let me get into a couple of these questions and then I can talk a little bit about some of the therapy stuff that I've experienced. So question number one, do you feel that you may have pushed away the possibility of love after your diagnosis? In the beginning, if I hadn't had the experiences that I have now, where I've had herpes, I've looked at the information online, I've had my own beliefs about what it meant to have herpes, and looking at looking at how I may have 
answered this question after my diagnosis, I would say, yeah. And because I was in no space of healing and I was just in space of, damn, I have herpes. I would not think that I could find love because that's not what the stigma says. There are no samples or examples of people who are in fact living with herpes and have a healthy love life. When you hear, oh, so-and-so has herpes, it's often associated with that person being undesirable or unworthy of a sexual partnership, but not ever unworthy of love. And if you pay attention to that, then you, you see that it's a very superficial level. I think that we often confuse being desired for love, for being loved. I think that we confuse being wanted, needed for being loved. Oftentimes we mistake being used for being loved. So my, I hope that this person who wrote in uh, listens to this. Now, <laughs> and if this is now, I don't feel that way because I have experiences and I've done things and taken actions that completely just challenged and disrupted my beliefs around that. And I hope that you will do the same thing for yourself in terms of just like allowing yourself to be loved, not to be used. And when I say this, I mean... We can tie so much of our herpes diagnosis into the reasons that we aren't living the life that we want. And when you stay stuck like that, you you learn that the world keeps moving. Life keeps going on. You know, you still go through your cycle of being sleepy, waking up and then being another day, another week, another month, another year. How much time are you willing to give to your herpes diagnosis to where? You're going to allow for it to make you not actually be loved. And when you start to ask yourself these questions, it's sort of like a a short circuiting of your belief systems around it. And you begin to act in a different way, behave in a different way to where you completely just you go against those beliefs And you learn something new about yourself. You find that the reason that you're not being loved after your herpes diagnosis has nothing to do with your herpes diagnosis. It could be that you're just picking people who want something from you. And that's where we get back into being used or being loved. And you think because that person's around you that they love you. I'm learning and being around people that I see who not only love the people around them, but also love themselves, that that's probably the biggest piece of this. The people who love themselves, they love themselves too much to be used. They love themselves too much to be settling or talked down to. And self-love is such an important piece of the healing process after a herpes diagnosis. And you know, even now, this might be something that I still struggle with uh, on a personal level because I do prioritize other people often 
over myself and what I need right now in the moment. Um, and this is gonna, this will be something that probably comes up when I talk about my dad and the conversation that he and I had. But when you try to make yourself needless and not have needs, you don't welcome in opportunities for people to demonstrate how loved you are to you. Um, I, I hope that the way that I worded that makes sense. But no, nah, the, the, the possibility of love after a herpes diagnosis doesn't get pushed away unless you choose to push it away. And that's going to just be in your behaviors uh, after your herpes diagnosis. So are you going to be willing to love yourself? Are you going to be willing to love yourself despite your herpes diagnosis with your herpes diagnosis? These are the kinds of questions that you have to ask yourself. And then what does it mean to love? What's it mean to love yourself or love anyone else and for other people to love you? Because these all may look three completely different ways to a person. So I challenge you to look at that and just define what love looks like uh, to be to be loved, to love and to love yourself. Question number two, what's the best way to manage outbreaks? Well, my first outbreak was the worst outbreak. Um, and I've never taken daily medication because of things that I've read online that resonate with me. And I add that part that resonate with me because there is so much information online about outbreaks about herpes about how to manage it how to treat it how to quote cure it and as far as we know there is not a cure and I don't want to break anyone's heart here in saying that because I know that after a diagnosis you begin to do your research and you see that there are cures and there's people who are saying glory be I have been cured by Dr. Enter last name that I can't pronounce. And it's like usually someone who is out of the native country that you're in, like out of your, uh, that's outside of your own native country. And so these people, they make pages, they make, uh, they, they make different pages to comment and deliver testimonies. And it looks real, but it isn't. There are different ways to relieve the or alleviate the symptoms of outbreaks. And what works for me is more preventative measures. And so after my diagnosis, I Googled and I Googled um, how to manage herpes outbreaks. And what came up for me in that point in time was stress management, move your body and nutrition. I was not eating well when I was around the time that I was diagnosed with herpes. I was not working out around the time that I was diagnosed with herpes. I was in a job that I think I, every job that I was at, I always felt like every day could be my last. And so I was under stressful working conditions as well. So when you take these three things and combine them together, you have a perfect formula for an outbreak. So what is in your immediate control? to minimize or reduce the levels of unnecessary stress in your life. 
how can you incorporate more nutrient-rich foods into your life rather than you know just eating a bunch of processed quick snack foods junk foods and then how can you get movement involved into your routine and i say movement because uh, i don't want to use workout because working out to different people means different things when i say movement i think that it is more encompassing to not just picking up weights not just running or jogging not just walking not just hiking you can also bike you can dance you can do um like a, a, a insanity workout or something there's all of these ways of moving your body and for me I got into yoga and it has been the best thing for me I'll never forget one day I walked into yoga super upset about something that happened at work and by the time the class was over with I was I was completely unaware of why I was even angry in the first place I started cooking more and when I, what I noticed is that I began to practice more positive enforcing habits for myself. Um, I, as I began to cook more, as I began to work out, as I began to do yoga, these were all things that were really good for me that in, at the time, I just was like, I don't want to have outbreaks, so here's what I'm going to do. And here we are, eight years later, after my official herpes diagnosis and I can say that I had my first outbreak and I had another outbreak maybe uh, four or five years ago after I was fired from a job and that was a very stressful time for me but I whenever I feel that there's an outbreak coming on whenever I felt that there was one coming on I would take uh, valcyclovir, valcyclovir, I think I had 500 milligram pills, and um, I was instructed to, or no, I think it was the 1GM or 1000MG, something like that, but I'd take, um, I was supposed to take two pills a day during, if I had an outbreak, two pills twice a day, six hours apart, and Whenever I felt as if there was an outbreak coming on and I associated with the sensation that if you have an itch and you and you scratch it, the sensation that comes immediately afterward is what the what the sensation is of me when my outbreak is about to occur. Now, mind you, um, I've had this feeling and I've taken the medication and I've not experienced an outbreak. I've also had the first outbreak, and then I had the I got fired outbreak. So that was it. I say that the best way to manage outbreaks is going to be with preventative measures. Your preventative measures are going to be to just get into managing your stress, like take care of your mental health, and then move your body and incorporate nutrient-rich foods into your diet. I'm not saying you got to give up the bad stuff or the things that don't have nutrition. Like, I still eat cookies. I still eat ice cream and Pop-Tarts with ice cream. Uh, and I have, you know, I enjoy food. You know, I still enjoy it. <laughs> so it's just been a matter of consciously incorporating more fruits and vegetables into that uh, routine as well. And... Um, when you have sex, this is something that isn't covered a lot. Uh, use lube. I don't care how wet you get. I don't care how wet your partner gets or, you know, how much drippage there is. 
at some point during sex, there may come a point where there's a little more friction than usual. Um, we're talking about, you know, the, the pulling and rubbing of genitals to genitals. Um, so with lube, what it does is decreases the risks of micro tears. So like, I know that there are people I was one. No, I actually, I was never one of those guys. Um, if you are someone who does not perform oral sex on a vulva owner and you have a penis and you want to get right to it, things are hot and heavy, you're just ready to put your hard penis into that vagina, then it's important to use some sort of uh, lubricant. I learned recently that you do not want to put oil-based lube on a condom. So while I'm a huge fan of coconut oil, coconut oil works when, well, for me, when the other person isn't allergic to it and when I'm not wearing a condom with a partner. If you are using a condom with a partner, then you want to make sure that you check and read and see what it says on there about what kind of lube to put on. There's a water-based lube, silicone-based lube, and I, I guess oil-based as well. But I know I learned very quickly not to put coconut oil on a condom. All right. So just a couple of things to help with managing outbreaks there. I hope that these are useful. And if anyone has uh, more tips, um, feel free to reach out. I know that Positive Results US has uh, a bunch of different um, resources and conversations around me. She has, uh, if you go to her Instagram page, it's positive.results.us. Uh, there's some posts on there that I'm sure reference uh, how to manage and treat the outbreaks that, um, that you may have. Um, what else? Oh, before we get into the third question, I want to give a shout out to Let's Get Checked. So www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP. When you check out, please don't forget, it's going to ask you to enter a promo code. Please put SPFPP, which is the acronym of something positive for positive people. When you enter that at checkout, you get 30% off of your test kit. And the test kit uh, can be an SCI test kit. It can be they have COVID uh, testing kits available to the public now. So if you want to get tested and checked for that, or if you want to check someone around you, there's also uh, different hormone tests that you can take as well. I took an STD test, uh, the whole 10, I believe is what it was. And um, I got it in. It came in a little box about the size of probably like a, a phone case, right? Like a little bit bigger than that. It fit into my mailbox. I took it out. I brought it in. I opened it. The instructions were easy to follow. It even came with a video. So I kept playing and stopping the video so that I could make sure that I was doing everything right with the wipes and the pricking of my fingers and getting the blood drawn. And this box for you to pee in, because they needed a urine sample, was very like, it was creative. It was like a plastic a uh, mini trash bag, but in a cardboard box that unfolded in a way to where you could comfortably, for me as a penis owner, kind of just like roll the scrotum over the box and just kind of like 
shoot the stream. I, I, women who listen to this or Volvo owners who listen to this probably don't know what I'm talking about. But like, it was easy for me to pee in this box. Let me say that. And it was spacious enough for someone who is not a penis owner to be able to pee in the box. Um, follow the instructions and I was able to get the sample together and um, prick my finger, get enough blood, box it up, send it out to the company. So um, I got my results back. I like the terminology and wording of it, how it shows non-reactive instead of um, like you're clear, you're clean, you're positive, you're negative, whatever. Um, so um, the, the reactivity levels were something that were new to me because I just hadn't seen that before. So I thought that was really awesome with the language. And that was probably one of my hesitancies of working with a company in terms of partnering with something positive for positive people because I do want to make sure that we are mindful of the sponsors that we work with and who I'm telling you guys to utilize services and get products from. So uh, I'm happy to be a partner of Let's Get Checked. Uh, again, that URL is www.trylogic.com without the vowel. So it's T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash S-P-F-P-P. And with the promo code S-P-F-P-P at the end, when you check out, you get 30% off your test kit. And this is also available outside the United States. I know there's probably a few dozen listeners because I'll be looking at the tracking now uh, who are outside the U.S. So again, that's www.trylgc.com slash S-P-F-P-P. All right, question number three. How did you contract herpes? I don't know. How did you contract herpes? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a more reasonable question would be, when did I find out I had herpes? Um, I'm on the eighth year of my herpes diagnosis, or at least being, yeah, being aware of it. And um, I, I have my guesses around, you know, who might have given it to me or, um, but, but from what I know now, after all this time of living with it, one, that doesn't matter Two, that person may not have known that they had it. Those people, um, they may not have known, or maybe I was a person that had it for longer than I think I did and just never set up the circumstances for myself to have an outbreak. I was always physically active. I played sports. I was social. I was in school. I was always like, I always had a, a goal in mind, whether it was to win a game, whether it was to finish school, whether it was to get something done. I was very focused on doing the things that I wanted to do. And so for me to be able to answer this question, how did I contract herpes? After I got herpes or knew that I had herpes, you know, all of the information just showed me that this was a tricky virus. There's no way to know how you got it or when you were exposed to it or who exposed you to it. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, like, ugh, it, it, it happens by skin to skin contact. We should possibly, if you're going to ask how you got herpes, I think a more reasonable question is when 
did you get herpes or when did you find out you had herpes as opposed to how? Um, because then we can kind of trace it back to what were the things happening in our lives around the time of our diagnosis. And for me, um, I was, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was stressed. I was in a work environment where I felt like I was going to get fired. I was um, not working out. I was not taking care of my body in terms of how I was eating. And I think that this perhaps, you know, they say everybody has herpes, right? Not everyone shows symptoms. And perhaps my having herpes, um, perhaps it was dormant in me. And what awakened it was my body's need for something different to happen. So I wasn't paying attention to my body. I didn't give it the movement it needed. I didn't nourish it. And I wasn't taking care of my mental health. So my body had to respond with something. So it was like, oh, here, we've got this. We've got these herpes antibodies here. Let's let's create an outbreak. Bam. Now what? Now you're going to pay attention to me. And I really believe that that's like how it worked for me. And I think that maybe that works that way for a lot of people. If you go through and listen to these episodes um, of, of people talking about their experiences with herpes, you hear um, that a lot of people were going through some sort of stressful situation already, even if they may not call it that directly, but there was some sort of a triggering circumstance for the body to just be okay with herpes at some point. Like, okay, hey, you're not, you're, you're doing this thing. You're not paying attention to me. Right. And you know, that's not to say for everyone, but a good number of people. And if you just pick up on the pattern, like perhaps we all do have herpes and those of us who know we have herpes, our bodies are giving us this warning that we have to be more mindful of it and pay attention to it, right? I think that that's something that we overlook in this is the message that comes with our herpes diagnosis is our bodies calling uh, calling to us like you're doing something that's not working for us and since you're not getting it here, here, I'm going to get your attention, all right? So, I'll say that that's how I contracted herpes from at some point skin to skin contact was when I contracted it and the circumstances that I chose to place on my body, my mind, that's what set the stage for my initial outbreak. Question number four. I like this question. How to feel sexy and attractive after a herpes diagnosis well first off who are you trying to feel sexy for <laughs> you know and the second question i want to ask you to ask yourself is what's it mean to feel sexy what does that mean i say you feel sexy and attractive after a herpes diagnosis when you can look yourself in the mirror and be like yeah i, I i'm sexy can you say that about yourself can you say that to yourself and if you can't, why can't you? Hell, if you can, why can't you? You can probably point out a lot of things about yourself that you like. Uh, to me, sexy is confidence. Freedom is sexy. I enjoy the company of people who value freedom. So that to me is, that's a sexy thing. When people want to live a life of 
mutually reciprocated, uninhibited connection, that is sexy. As someone who embodies that, I find myself to be sexy. I look at my body, and my body is healthy. My body does what I need it to do in order to be able to continue to run this nonprofit, record episodes of this podcast, be a personal trainer. My body is perfect for what I need it to do. So if we're talking, and I think we are talking about, you know, physically being attracted to yourself, I think it's a psychological block that many of us deal with after a herpes diagnosis because our sexuality is challenged. We don't know... We, we don't see ourselves the same way. So if we masturbated, if we had a lot of sex, perhaps now we may not want to touch our body. And uh, the herpes diagnosis, what it does to our mind is it can sometimes put us outside of ourselves. And we have to work to reconnect ourselves to our body and not look at the weight that our relationship to our genitals carries and exclusively let that be what keeps us apart from our body we have to heal that we have to look at that we got to challenge our behaviors or we have to challenge our beliefs with our behaviors and so if your beliefs are that you're not sexy then you can behave in a way that is sexy what do you find sexy when other people do it to you or when you see something being done like what is it that arouses you what turns you on do that for yourself do that for yourself if there's a certain kind of walk if there's if you like watching yourself like video yourself take pictures of yourself look at yourself look at yourself in the mirror look at yourself doing things that you enjoy doing find ways to increase your confidence find ways to identify what you find sexy like i said to me freedom is sexy Anyone who embodies that. Transparency is sexy. How transparent are you going to be with me? How communicative are you going to be? How much of yourself can you be around me? These kinds of things are sexy. Now, when we get to the physical stuff, of course, everybody has whatever it is that they're attracted to. So what, what are you attracted to on yourself? Identify those things and spend more time exploring them. That is how you feel sexy and attractive after your herpes diagnosis. You feel sexy and attractive despite your herpes diagnosis. What turned you on before you received your diagnosis? What aroused you? What excited you? And I don't think that we look at it enough, but when um, when we talk about arousal and being sexy and being attractive or attracted to anyone... We link it to sexuality. You know, sexiness isn't always about sex. Attractiveness isn't always about sex. I just said I I find freedom sexy and attractive. Like, what is it that stimulates you about yourself? What is it that stimulates you about the world? And how can you incorporate more of that stimulation consistently in your day-to-day life? Can you do that? Try it. And just see what it feels like. There's nothing to lose. Perhaps you'll discover something new that wasn't there before. Or perhaps like even with your herpes diagnosis that made you have to, um, it made you look at 
things a little bit differently. So for me, after my diagnosis, I began to date differently. Um, I had to get creative in a bedroom. If I felt like maybe I shouldn't have sex because there's an outbreak coming on, perhaps there's other ways that you can be with your partners and uh, enjoy their their company and experience pleasure with them. Perhaps uh, become a little more open-minded because you want to take your time in figuring out if someone is worth disclosing to um, and, and sharing that vulnerable piece of yourself in hopes of moving forward with them in a sexual interaction. And so now you have to get to know them more and see what kind of person they are. And you find that like there's other things about them that may be attractive or sexy that you, the, before your herpes diagnosis, you know, may have had like uh, additional confidence or something that was there to where you wouldn't have gotten to know them in this way to learn that you were turned on or aroused by something about them um, that you, you just wouldn't have noticed it. You wouldn't have noticed it had it not been for slowing things down due to your herpes diagnosis and you wanting to make sure that this was someone safe enough to disclose to first. So yeah, do do that. Like identify who you want to feel sexy for and hopefully that person is yourself and then define what it means to feel sexy to yourself. And I think that that's how we begin to feel sexy and attractive after uh, our herpes diagnosis. Those were the questions that I want to answer for this week. So here we are 37 minutes in and I wanted to at the very least, talk about my experience with therapy. So as you know, BetterHelp is www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. Please don't forget that slash SPFPP, y'all. They are a sponsor of the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. And I have been using them for two months now. I have a therapist and uh, he self-disclosed as a gay black man with 11 plus, or I'm sorry, he didn't say gay black man, he said LGBT uh, black man with 11 years of experience. And our conversations have been really eye-opening for me. I don't have people around me anymore to be around me enough to like point out my behaviors in a way that I know that I need to change something. I've always had that in my teammates with football, uh, my close friends that I would spend a lot of time with. But, you know, people are having children now and becoming adults. I'm 31 years old, so that's what's happening with the people around me. And now I don't have that sort of uh, extra pair of eyes or set of ears around me. And I think that what my therapist is teaching me is to be that for myself. My therapist is teaching me to learn to challenge myself and my thoughts and my opinions and everything that comes along with that. And he's doing a damn good job of it, y'all. Our first conversation, he's, he, uh, he said that he doesn't think I'm over my herpes diagnosis. And that gave me a very angry feeling in my body, which I learned that anger isn't just violence, aggression, or uh, breaking things, or any fist fighting, or physicalities at all. Anger can look like silence. Anger can look like saying yes to things that you don't want to do. 
be out of fear or out of whatever it is. And I, I learned that. And I'm really learning just how my herpes diagnosis really has impacted me. And um, when he said that, you know, I was like, no, nah, because I've been positive for eight years. I had five years of navigating this alone. And then over the last three years, I've been navigating it with other people. And so as we progress through our sessions, what I've begun to realize is that there's a difference between coping and healing. This is something that I will cover on a later podcast episode in greater detail, but I'm sure you're wondering right now, you know, what's the difference? What's the difference between coping and healing? Coping more so has negative impacts, not only on yourself, but also on those around you. So let's say you cope by thinking to yourself, well, somebody gave me herpes, so I'm going to give it to everybody else. That can be a coping response. This is how you choose to cope with it. Whereas a healing response would be um, mine. uh, I I use my intention as an example. When I was first uh, about to let people know that I was the person behind the Something Positive for Positive People podcast, I had malicious intent of exposing someone who I used to date for having herpes. You know, this person told me that they don't have herpes, but I wrote out this entire post and I was just like, it was, it was not, it was not coming from a good place. I was angry. I now realize that this was out of anger. It wasn't fair to me that this person was able to have moved on and had a relationship. And here I am with herpes thinking that no one would want to be with me because I have herpes. And I was getting ready to make this post. And just, I I remember my friend Tyler's voice playing in my head. He was like, what is your intention in posting this? And when that played in my head, I just deleted it. A few days later, uh, maybe even sooner than that, um, I get a text message from one of my clients who sends me, one of my clients that I train at the gym, who sends me a link to this article from an interview that I did months before. And she just goes, oh my God, this is awesome. And the freaking headline was local personal trainer talks about uh, his STD status and why people are scared to talk about theirs. And my heart dropped. And then it was like, oh, that was her response. It was just, this is so awesome. And so that ended up being what led to me letting everyone know in my network that I'm doing this podcast. I have herpes. And the difference in how people learned that, that's the difference between coping and healing. Because I had malicious intent. I wanted people to question this relationship, question her. And I wanted I wanted her to feel what I felt. And I was I was hurt. I was angry. I was in pain. I think a lot of us are, especially early in our uh, journey of living with herpes. And what the healing piece of it was, was to see so much love that I received. So my client who messaged me, who was the first person that messaged me, because I had it in my mind that if my clients found out I had herpes, then they wouldn't want to train with me because they would think they'd get it from sitting on a bench that I've used or touching the same equipment that I touch, you know, and I really believed that. I really did. 
So uh, that's that's one example of healing versus coping and um, other ways of responding are, of course, drinking or just falling into uh, depression, suicide ideation, suicide attempts, jumping on social media and creating a herpes education resource page, uh, starting a support group. These are all different ways of responding to a herpes diagnosis that can either be seen as coping or healing. So my therapist and I, we, we, he, he gave me that. He gave me that language to understand. Um, and I learned that my healing is coming through this space. Like I heal myself by assisting in the healing of others. And that's what this podcast has done for me. It's done wonders for my confidence. It's done wonders for me feeling sexy again after hearing about how many other people are uh, going through their processes and feeling sexy and reconnecting with themselves and their bodies. This has been a very useful tool for me. Um, My therapist also pointed out to me that I have an issue with rejection. I have an issue with entitlement. And there is just... There's a ton more stuff that I'm hoping that others are able to get out of it. I'm hoping that perhaps I'll be able to interview my therapist on here about uh, navigating a herpes diagnosis with a mental health professional. Um, Because it has just been, it, it was something that I didn't think was an issue. I'm thinking that I'm coming to him because I want to just get ahead of my mental health and not experience compassion fatigue or burnout, but if I do, be prepared to handle it in a way that isn't going to sabotage what's been the momentum of something positive for positive people. So there was, um, was there something else that he brought up with me? Uh, Probably, and I'm sure I'll touch up on it on other podcast episodes, but yeah, we've, we've gone deep and we Some of our sessions have been two hours. We had consistently, we run over 90 minutes and it's usually, he he says, I usually slip things in there that he, that I think he may forget about, but he he makes little notes. Like we're going to eventually talk about our relationship, my relationship with food. Um, And another thing that's come up is just like my relationship with my mom. And um, I talked to him about my dad, which, oh, I guess we can get into that now. And um, the way that I felt about my dad, perhaps being the way that my four younger siblings feel about me. And I'm sure y'all are like, oh, Courtney has four younger siblings. Yes, I do. (laughs) I I have four younger siblings. Um, So, yeah, I guess since we're here now, let's uh, talk about that. (laughs) Uh, But don't forget, if you do utilize any of the um, sponsors, Nine times out of 10, our code is going to be SPFPP. But for better help, if you are considering therapy or counselor, please visit www.betterhelp, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash SPFPP. And you will be helping out the podcast by utilizing the service and using that promo code. All right. I mentioned to you earlier. Oh, wow. Look at it. It's 3.34 a.m. right now. Um. I got to be at work in two and a half hours, (laughs) but I also need to upload this podcast. Yesterday evening, I went to my dad's house. Um, I ended up writing this letter. The letter was five pages. 
it wasn't supposed to be a letter. It was supposed to be Courtney writing out my emotions because I take in a lot of emotions from other people, intense emotions from other people. And somehow, some way, I am able to do so without projecting my own um, and without expressing my own. And I've wondered if there was anything there. Like, I struggle with knowing what it is that I feel. And I know that ultimately I like to feel connected. And I think that one of the ways that I feel connected to or feel connected to other people is through their extension of emotions to me. So whenever I am taking on the emotions of other people, that's when I feel most connected. This is something that I've learned about myself. So uh, what, what else is there? You know, what else is there underneath that wanting of connection like we all have? So I was writing and I realized one of my triggers is that when I get excited, I get disappointed. Perhaps I'm attached to an outcome or perhaps I'm just used to getting my hopes up and being disappointed. And so as I'm writing, um, somehow at some point, like my dad comes up and our relationship, like my, I've never had a bad relationship with my dad. I just never knew that I was like angry for certain things. And one of those things was just like being excited or told, hey, we're going to do this. And then that this not happening. Um, So in my writing, the language went from me reflecting on myself to me talking to him because the language went from, yeah, my dad, my dad, my dad to you, you. Yeah, dad, you. And I was like, whoa, that was, this happened. So there must be something there. And it was subconscious. Like I didn't do it consciously. I wasn't planning to talk to my dad. But because of how it came out, that meant that there was something there. And I, my parents had me when they were both 18 years old. You know, kids raising kids. You do the best that you can with what you got to work with. And as an adult, like, I'm not terribly effed up in any way shape or form I had the experience that I had um, being raised growing up my parents made sure that the way that they raised me was not in a way that harmed them for instance my mom never wanted to be wanted me to be molested or sexually assaulted she was very successful in that And then for my dad, and this is something that we'll probably talk about eventually, you know, I want to understand what, you know, his motivation was and how he raised me. But he he said something to me that really like hit home and he was like, wow, you know, I didn't think that you needed things or needed much from me as far as like emotions or presence or attention. And I realized like I set that up like I, I, I trained myself to not need anything I train myself to be needless and that part of that has really defined how I do relationships how I do work and it's not it's not really independence it's like a fake independence because no matter how much I might be struggling or dealing with something I won't ask for help because I don't want to be disappointed that the person I ask can't help me. And how does this translate into relationships and dating and sex? You don't, you, you come off as not needing anything and you're unsatisfied. 
your desires aren't met, your needs aren't met, because you on the surface are putting all of your energy into not needing anything. Therefore, people can't connect with you or get close to you because there's so much vulnerability that comes with asking for what you need, putting yourself out there to experience rejection. And this is something that I've just, I've had a problem with. And so I write this letter and I was like, man, I should give this to my dad. And so I was like, ah, he ain't gonna read this shit. So <laughs> I went and I hit record on my microphone and I just, I read it. I read it verbatim. And then um, I sent it to him. I asked him to listen to it. And so um, this was in March. Father's Day was last weekend. And so uh, last weekend I, on Sunday, I was like, ah. he didn't, he couldn't have listened to it because he would have said something to me. So on Father's Day, I tried something different. And I led with emotion. I was like, hey, it would really mean a lot to me if you would listen to that audio I sent you. And he listened to it. He listened to it right away. Whereas before, you know, I, I try to be so detached and everything. It was like, hey, you can listen to this, you know, whenever you want to. Just call me afterwards. There was no emotion there. But adding the words, it would mean a lot to me if was very powerful because I do I don't want to feel rejected so I leave emotion out of things I don't want people to disagree with my opinion so I leave my opinion out of things I leave my feelings out and there just seems to be like people feel safe in expressing their emotions with me but for some reason I don't feel safe expressing my emotions with other people and this is something that I'm working on. And my therapist, before he even knew about this, like I told him about this and he said to me, he was like, wow, I am stumped. <laughs> Just the contents of the letter. Like, I don't need to go into a ton of detail at all, but this was just the, the bulk of it. And so um, hearing my dad say to me after he listened to it, he said, I heard you. I hear you. And I heard him say, you know, he was like, he read, he listened to it and he played it for my stepmother and they both cried and they're just like, I, I don't remember these things. And some of the contents in there were just like, you know, the, the main thing was just like, when I get excited, I get disappointed. And this is a trigger that you placed in there. And I want to take control back. Like, I don't want people to be able to give me this same feeling of my dad disappointing me in some way shape or form right I don't want to get that to other people because that's how triggers work like you're reminded of a particular event and your body responds to it in whatever way your body responds to it so for me it's like a it's a feeling of it's a rush of anger I get mad when people don't do what they say they're going to do my trigger is inconsistency so if you want to piss me off the fastest way you can do it is to be inconsistent <laughs> and um Again, you know, I didn't know that this is how anger shows up. I didn't know that this was anger until I recently started reading and listening to audiobooks and podcasts where they talk about emotions. I want to understand emotions, so I sought to understand them. And I recognized that I was just angry and didn't have an outlet. And it took for me to read the book Attached to learn 
that I'm securing my relationship with my mom. I'm securing my relationships with women. I'm securing my friendships. Um, what is it? General, uh, some, some kind of preoccupied, not anxious, but like, uh, in general social settings. Like I've got like a, I'm, I'm preoccupied. Uh, I don't remember the other word. There were two words, but it wasn't anxious, preoccupied, um, in general. And then when they saw my dad, it was like fearful avoidant. I was like, Whoa, what's that about, bro? And so we, we talked and you know, the, we're, it's going to be an ongoing thing. We're going to continue to develop and build a closer relationship. He lives 20 minutes from me. I can drive over there anytime. And this is going to be an ongoing discussion. So this is, um, Something that I feel like when he called me and told me he listened to it, like feeling heard was just, I got this instant, I got excited. (laughs) I got excited. And then we made plans and we followed through on them and we connected and we talked and we got so much accomplished just like in him being able to explain it. He just, you know, validated for me what I already knew, you know, we, we, we set our seed up our next generations to succeed and progress a little bit further than we did. And he did that. He gave me what I needed to progress and move forward. And so that's what we, that's where we're at now. You know, I told y'all, all all right, I'm gonna deal with my daddy issue. And I dealt with it (laughs) or I'm dealing with it. I'm healing and dealing and feeling. Ooh, we that sound like an episode title, but already, yeah, this, this isn't the bulk of it. (laughs) Healing and feeling and dealing. I really do like that. I'm going to have to change it. I already wrote out everything else uh, except for like the actual description of this. Um, But uh, my timer is going red here. I would love to continue to talk about, you know, this healing process with my dad. But it looks like I got about two minutes left before it stops recording. Again, I'm adjusting to this new app and figuring out how to record, upload. I hope I can upload this because it's almost been an hour. Um, and I think that this turned out well enough for me to not need to record it or um, edit it. So this one's going right up. If I can get this thing uploaded to the Google Drive, download it to my computer, I can plug it into the website, drop a little description, take my ass back to sleep for these next two hours, y'all. <laughs> um, if you listen this entire time, I appreciate you making the time to do so. Um, let me know what you think because there will be more solo episodes um for now um i'm gonna have to just edit the other episodes that i have and start interviewing guests in person um to just accommodate you know and that'll mean more local guests perhaps i'll be doing some traveling to people getting into some organizations and getting uh interviews done that way as well and given this timer right now it looks like podcast episodes won't be over an hour or else there'll be part one part two episodes so um i appreciate you for taking part in my healing journey and listening to me and writing in your questions please continue to do so you can dm me directly at h on my chest on social media you can also go to the website and fill out an inquiry form or you can message me directly via email at courtney at spfpp.org. If you use our sponsors, let's get checked, which is trylgc.com, trylogic without the vowels, slash spfpp. Use that code spfpp at checkout to save 30% on your STI testing kit. And then with BetterHelp, go to www.betterhelp.com, slash spfpp.
FBP to utilize therapy services. Those are two ways you can support the podcast. And another way is just to share it, rate it, like it, review it, subscribe to it, tell everybody about this podcast because the more people who are able to find these resources, the better. My goal is just to serve the people who are contemplating suicide at the very least. So it's not really about the numbers, the quantity, it's about the quality. And I want to save the the few people who may be in that space. Till next time, stay sex positive. Also, if you want to donate to the nonprofit, you can visit www.spfpp.org. And on the homepage, you'll see different options to make a donation. Peace.